Hello, my name is Scott Knox. I'm an associate pastor of administration here at FBC Keller. Today I'll be leading us through our weekly Bible study in our Explore the Bible series. And I don't know about you, but I always love to take time out of the day and it's just a joy to open up the Bible, maybe get a good cup of coffee and sit there. And I've always loved the title of that series, just Explore the Bible. It brings me back to my days as a new believer where I was reading through God's Word for the very first time. And so hopefully wherever you're at today listening, uh, you have a chance to, to set and to really enjoy the Word of God as we dig in. And our text today is Philippians 4, 10 through 20. It's a, it's a wonderful passage. If you're a new believer, it's in what we call the New Testament, or kind of the back third of the Bible. It's right after Galatians, Ephesians, and then you get to Philippians. It's named after the church that it was sent to. Um, so it's it's a letter, and if you're not familiar with the Bible, the Bible is composed of all sorts of literature, and this was a letter written many years ago. And every time I begin a Bible study, I always try to set the context, and context is just as important as content, because if you can't relate to what's being taught, it's really hard to walk away and live a changed life. And, and that's our ultimate goal here, is to know God in such a way that he changes you and you allow his word to touch your heart. So what is the context of our passage here today? Well, real time, real people, real place, real life. So time, approximately 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul was in a place called Rome, modern-day Italy, and he was writing to a church in modern-day Greece. You're going to hear words like Philippians, Thessalonica, Macedonia. Uh, if you Think in relation to where we're at today here in North Texas. Think of Texas and Macedonia as being the same thing, kind of a region, and Philippi and Thessalonica as two cities like Fort Worth and Dallas. So very real place in time. And you have the Apostle Paul, the church in Philippi, as well as an individual named Epaphroditus. Now, before I was pastor of administration here, we planted a church in Oregon, sent out by FBC Keller. We had all sorts of Noahs and Naomi's in our church at any given time, but I've never run across an Epaphroditus. So a little bit of a tough name, but at the same time, just a regular guy, a regular person, maybe like you listening today. And how in the world does an individual serve in the kingdom of, of God if he's not an apostle or a pastor? And maybe you can really relate to Epaphroditus today. But in life, you have real choices. And here we're going to see the Apostle Paul is in prison. Now, I don't know what your life role is in ministry, but uh, the apostle is, uh, Paul is one of the key figures in the New Testament. God uses him in amazing ways. And you would think maybe has this incredible ministry at the end of his life because his early life started out well. He was well-trained, well-educated, had every opportunity to become rich and powerful and famous in, in his context, he even had Roman citizenship, though he lived in Israel. Yet, in choosing to give all that up, and serve God, what was his reward? Prison, beatings, and ultimately death. Quite a different story in life circumstances than we might think. And as you think about applying this passage today, as we're about to dig in to read, I would just ask you, wherever you're at in your life circumstance, whether you're young and you're thinking about what life holds for you, or maybe you've lived a few years and you've looked at some of the choices you've made and some of the consequences of those choices, how do you evaluate that? Do you have joy? Do you have peace? Are you happy with how life has turned out? Or have you you've really taken a path that you've did the 
best you can according to this world, yet you still don't have that. That's what this passage is about. How should we live? And it begins in verse 10 in chapter 4, and Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. If you know nothing else about this passage, if you remember nothing else, remember that. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. If I were to put a title on today's uh, study, that's where we're going. That's the point. How do you rejoice? Well, you rejoice in the Lord. And in doing so, you can do so greatly. Regardless of the circumstances, goals, or whatever has happened to you in this life, rejoicing is possible. Not only is it possible, but it's God's will. And it's not rejoicing in our wealth or our kids or anything along those lines. Those are certainly are, are, are things to be happy about and to enjoy. God gives us wonderful gifts in this life. But there are times where things go awry. And the question is, does our joy go with it? And the answer is no. We can rejoice in the Lord greatly. And as we read through these um, 10 verses, you'll see things did not go well for the Apostle Paul. Yet from prison, a Roman prison, he can say, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. So he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Now that at length you have revived your concern for me, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Verse 10, the Philippians had been supporting him, and he's very gracious here. He says, now at length you've revived your concern for me. He didn't say, hey, you forgot about me. Thanks for finally remembering me. No, he's, he's being very gracious here. He says, you were indeed concerned for me. Perhaps he had doubted that. But you had no opportunity. We don't know what the circumstances were, but he's giving them the benefit of the doubt. Verse 11, he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Verse 13 is perhaps one of the most commonly quoted verses in all the Bible outside of John 3.16. It's especially popular among individuals who have been going through tough times. I remember years ago as a teenager hearing one individual, and we'll just say he played for the Bears. He was a football player, and they were playing against the Wildcats. And he was telling this story. He was in the, the state championship and how things were going bad. He became dehydrated. They took him into the locker room, and he got an IV and was drinking Gatorade. And then he prayed. He remembered this verse and quoted this verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And he went out and he beat the living daylights out of the wildcats. And as I'm hearing this, I'm like, man, I'm not sure that's really what that verse was all about, you know, beating someone in a high school football team. And what about the wildcats? Does God not love them? Did he not want to strengthen them? And that's kind of the context that I grew up in. This verse has been quoted in all sorts of places. So let's look a little closer at the context of the passage itself. Paul writes, after he says they revived their concern for him, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need. Well, clearly he was in need. He was in prison. But he's not really focused on that. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation. So the idea that you can do all things through him who strengthens you is about learning. 
And it's about learning through experience. So this promise is brought to life and develops in you through tough times, certain situations. He says, for I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Wow. This is the apostle speaking, remember? I know how to be brought low. Well, sometimes we have to struggle with that, but maybe we can get through it. But have you ever heard anyone really talk about this next part? He says, I know how to abound or to deal with success, with uh, all the successes and all the issues that come with success. Have you ever really thought about that? I don't know of too many people that do, quite frankly. I, I don't know that anyone puts a plan together and says, here's how I need to handle uh, becoming wealthy and famous. They just usually try to deal with it and don't usually deal with it very well. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty. Once again, how do you deal with wealth? And I don't think even in this context, Paul was ever really riding around in a gold-plated chariot trying to figure out how to deal with that. It was like, how do I deal with life when I really don't need anything? Do I just develop a new hobby? Do I start spending lavishly? Do I give it away? He had to learn that. And hunger. Once again, one of the individuals that is the foundation of the New Testament church, the apostle, had to deal with hunger, abundance, and need. He dealt with that all. So that is the context, the immediate context, but let's look back in chapter 3 a little bit more about this idea of rejoicing greatly in the Lord and, and how we can do that. It's just not about learning to deal with it, but it is our attitude. In chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, Philippians says this, Paul writing, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. His entire life attitude, his entire mission and purpose in life was forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead towards the upward goal, towards the prize in heaven. He was a heavenly citizen, if you will. In verse 15, it wasn't just Paul. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So we were to think the same way as Paul. Verse 20 and 21 say this. Paul says, but our citizenship is is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So let's pause here for a second. If you're commuting to work or if you're working out listening to this, or maybe you're, you are sitting at home with that nice cup of coffee just relaxing, it is hard to take a break from the busyness and step back and look at your own life from the 10,000-foot perspective. It really is. There's a lot of things pressuring us each and every day. But if we want to have joy, if we really want to get up and have purpose with our, our life this very day, we have to look at it of like, who am I? Am I living for the things of this world? Am I pursuing the goals that were set for me maybe by my parents? or how I was raised, or by my work? Or do we look at our life through the lens 
of Scripture, the very Word of God. If that is the case, then all of a sudden the standard for success, the standard for joy is not the things of this world. We are citizens in heaven and everything becomes an opportunity, whether it's good or bad. And all of a sudden we move from being enslaved to freedom. We can rejoice all the time, regardless of our circumstance. We're no longer dependent upon the moment-by-moment happiness of pursuing entertainment, pursuing work, goals in this world. Um, We can literally rejoice in losing a football game. We are no longer taking our goals and sprinkling Jesus on top of them. Our goal is Jesus. And when someone comes along and sprinkles a little of life on top of Jesus, we're dusting it off. It's an entirely different change of mindset. That's how Paul can say, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. He's not rejoicing in prison. He's not rejoicing in being forgotten by this Philippian church. He's not rejoicing in this ministry that he has. I mean, our standards of ministry, we'd have expected the Apostle Paul to be renting out the Colosseum in in Rome of like, well, if he was really a good apostle, that's the kind of ministry he would have. Maybe he would have a multi-site, like one Colosseum and a couple of other amphitheaters where guys are recording his sermon and jumping in a chariot and racing down the street and reading it in a different amphitheater. Like, well, that's clearly what God would have as success for an apostle. No, he was in prison, abandoned, hungry, alone, oftentimes forgotten. That is the context of I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Is that you? Is that me? Verse 14, he moves from the difficulties to their kindness and their grace Hopefully you have these sorts of individuals supporting you in your ministry, whether it's volunteer ministry in your church or others. But this church did revive their concern. Verse 14, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And let's pause there for a second. If you've ever been in ministry, it's easy to begin to associate ministry with God himself. They are different. Ministry will bring trouble because ministry is about taking God and sharing God with people and people are sinful. We might be redeemed sinners, but we're sinful. And so you will find trouble in ministry. There is no trouble, not a zero in God, our heavenly father. Yes, he corrects us. He disciplines us, but there is no trouble in God. We have a loving father. And so never associate ministry entirely with God. Don't, don't, they're not interchangeable because I've known a lot of pastors and a lot of individuals who have served in volunteer ministry and they get into the church and they come across these troubles in ministry and they get burned out and they walk away from church and other believers and they never realized, hey, that, that's part of the bargain. That's what you signed up for. There's going to be challenges and trouble in ministry, but there is none in our Lord. So hopefully if you're in that place today that you, you turn back to the Lord and, and rejoice in Him and, and restart that relationship that perhaps you've walked away from a long time ago. 
Verse 15, he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. This is this amazing church that was supporting the Apostle Paul in a church not very far away. Like I said, Thessalonica, according its distance from Philippi, is not very far. I think Dallas-Fort Worth or maybe Fort Worth, Austin. It was relatively close by, and you would have expected that Thessalonica could have supported him. But no, the Philippians were doing that. And they continue to do that time and again. Verse 17 or verse 16, in that he says, you, you sent help for my needs. Paul was constantly experiencing needs. I've never been in a ministry or a church where there weren't needs. There's always a discussion about how we're going to meet our needs. So never expect like that's going to go away somehow. Part of being able to rejoice in the Lord greatly is not waiting for the day where there are no longer going to be needs. That day will never come. If you love the Lord, there's always going to be a greater need to share the gospel and to grow deeper with Him. So don't let needs derail you from rejoicing in the Lord. Yet, he continues forward in verse 17, he says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So he's, he's touching on this very sensitive subject of wanting his needs met and needing his needs met, at least the basic needs of eating and, and the supplies of doing ministry. But he doesn't want to focus on that because, once again, he is a citizen of heaven. He is focusing on the result of, of the product of using that gift, and it is the fruit that increases to your credit. So what is the fruit? Well, the fruit is is part of one of the many words in scripture that is used to describe kingdom issues or kingdom mindset the bible uses words like uh, seed harvest crops all in describing the kingdom of god of, of sharing the gospel people turning to god uh, as their lord and savior the growth that you see in them the fruit or the the ministry that they produce in sharing the gospel and their, their life being changed all used in a context of this agricultural society and fruit was a very common word that people would be familiar with they see it every day as a result of something good that a plant has been planted by a in a seed it's been watered it's been taken care of and in resources added to it and at some point you get this wonderful piece of fruit that you can eat and this is what paul is using uh, as far as his imagery to describe this gift that has been watered the gospel his ministry is receiving these resources and ultimately um, this fruit that is produced and it was to their credit i don't know how long you've been in church or if you're in church but have you ever stopped to think about all the money that you've given to your local church and what it has produced what it's made possible you might not be able to see it. It might be going to things behind the scenes. But make no mistake, if you're part of a good church and if you're a part of First Baptist Keller, I get to see some of the behind the scenes stuff. And there are amazing things going on in our ministry in this church. And it's wonderful to be able to be a part of it and to be able to see it every single day. I hope that someday, if you don't see it, that you get involved enough to where you can. 
Verse 18 says this, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Epaphroditus shows up here in the early part of uh, this letter. We don't see him anywhere else in the Bible, but he was sent. He was a guy. Do you consider yourself just a guy or maybe just a lady? He was this individual uh, from the scenes of history who was willing to go from all the way from Philippi in Greece to Italy, traveling, maybe at his own expense, we don't know, to go to a prison. It's, it's not always nice to be associated with prisoners, but he went there and he ministered and gave this gift to Paul. In all your life, if you did nothing else, maybe you were a huge success at whatever um, trade or craft or profession you're in, but if you did nothing else, what if you took a little bit of time, took a break, and you served the Lord fully just for a short period of time? If you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do it. Go on a mission trip where it's purely for the Lord. Everything, every day is just serving Him. And it might not seem like much, just like Epaphroditus, it probably didn't seem like much to him. He maybe got on a boat or made a long journey around, around the sea. However he got there, he got there. He was carrying some money, some resources. Doesn't seem like quite the same as Paul's ministry. Yet, the Apostle Paul is so thankful that he received from Epaphroditus the gifts that was sent. And notice, look at the words he uses to describe this gift. A fragrant offering in verse 18, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He's pulling in this Old Testament language or Old Covenant language to describe this simple gift on par with what the, the priests used to, to perform there in the temple. And it's all from the willingness of just a guy, Epaphroditus. I say that because that's how I often viewed myself as just a guy long before I went into full-time ministry. And frankly, that's the wrong perspective to have. We are children of God. We are all equal before God. We, we believe in the priesthood of believers. And we're all gifted in different ways. And I want to encourage you today, whatever you're doing, don't see yourself as just a. See yourself as a child of God whom God can use in amazing ways and be willing to take the step of faith to, to do that and serve. Know that you will perhaps face trouble in ministry. It'll come, but there are some joys and some wonderful rewards uh, of being a part of that struggle and a part of that trouble. And Epaphroditus got to experience that, and Paul was blessed through that. Well, the final two verses we close in, as Paul rejoiced in the Lord greatly, he says, And my God will supply every need of yours. Every need. Now, how can he say that when he just said he was in need? Well, he clarifies that. He, said, he says, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Once again, the Apostle Paul is viewing life and needs through his citizenship in heaven. He's not saying that you're never going to be hungry. He's not saying that you're never going to be sick or without a job. What he's saying is your every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Think of it like this. No matter what you're facing, you are not alone. The Spirit of Christ dwells in you if you have trusted in him as your Savior and Lord. You are never alone. 
and he will never give you more than you can handle. He always will provide you a way of escape. If you're dealing with temptation, he will always provide you with enough strength to endure, even unto death. Every need that you can possibly face, whether it's a physical need that you need to learn to trust in him, whether it's an abundance where you need to learn how to handle glory or power or additional wealth, whatever the case, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, you will be supplied. And finally, in verse 20, he says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a man in prison who had given up all the earthly wealth, all the earthly success. And after many years of planning churches, he's abandoned by most of them, forgotten by almost all of them. And finally, one guy shows up and he has one or two other individuals there, and that's it. That, that is the sum total of his ministry that he can see in, at that moment in time. And yet, he's rejoicing greatly in the Lord. And he can say towards the conclusion of this letter, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. The only way he can say that is if he is truly a citizen of heaven, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, pressing on towards the goal of the upward call of God. I just leave this one simple question with you today. What is your true goal today? Is it your true goal of life? Where are you straining towards? Are you straining towards a certain financial goal, a certain goal of maybe being married, a certain goal of attaining a certain retirement? What is your goal? And if you achieve it, do you think you'll really have joy? I would encourage you just to ask those who have achieved the goals that you've set before your life. And I bet you will find the answer surprising because I have asked that question. I've talked to people who are millionaires. I've talked to people who are extraordinarily successful in this world that have it all. And many of them who don't know Christ, in fact, all of them do not have the joy and the peace of God. That is a fruit of the Spirit. And those that are Christians who have maybe set their goal in the wrong place, they've come to realize that everything they've done, a lot of it, they wish they could go back and change because they had pursued the wrong goal for a great number of years. I want to encourage you to start today, if you haven't done it before, reorient your goal. And if you reorient your goal, you can rejoice in the Lord greatly, regardless if you're well supplied or not, whether you're hungry or, or in abundance. Set your goal on the Lord, and then you can rejoice. Have a blessed day. Thank you for listening today.